Mm-hmm. So if we then shift away from that and start to just talk more about the tech side of stuff, so there's two different contexts where we're going to have you know, home or distance learning, uh, remote learning, whatever you want to call it, uh, happening. One will be online uh, where you might have kids who have really good access to technology and can utilize things like Google Classroom or Canvas or Microsoft or whatever it is uh, that the school is already using. Uh, But then there's also going to be people who have no access to tech uh, and what do they do? Uh, So let's start with the people who have the access. What kinds of tech tools do you use? How do you use them? Uh, Have you got an extra level of thinking that goes into your use of these tools than would happen in your classrooms? That's a lot of Um, questions at once. but just It is, it is, but (laughs) I'll try my best. Um, So... um, it just depends on the purpose in regards to the tech type of thing. Um, so we're, um, our boss is very generous and will allow us, you know, um, to kind of experiment and dip our toes into the water of using lots of tech. Um, I always have, you know, if it's not the best use for the student kind of thing, then I need to find something else that can make it work. So you become very resourceful as a distance education teacher. So um, I really like Google Classroom for the fact that the kids, no matter where they are, feel like they're part of a classroom as such. And they're social beasts, so they desperately want to know that there's other people out there um, doing online learning and heading in the same direction as they are. Um, in saying that, um, there's lots of platforms that you've mentioned, Canvas, Microsoft, that are allowing um, for more collaboration to happen. But once again, that comes back to how much data the students have, um, what they have access to. Um, I really like Quizlet as a tool I mentioned before for senior students, but now it has really cool tools where you can add images and sounds. So if you were teaching um, students um, their words, I sit next to the primary faculty and I can hear them teaching like multi-lit via Zoom, which is really, really cute. I think... um, once again, coming back, working smarter, not harder, Zoom now has lifted its 40-minute cutoff point for free accounts due to our current situation, which is really good. And there's a recording feature on it like we're doing now. So if you're going to deliver a lesson and students can't be there for a variety of reasons, record it, put it up in your digital platform so then they can catch up on their work later. So that would be a a really big thing. Record your lessons, upload them into your platform so if students are away or you have taught something really well, they can go back and review it. But definitely the more students can feel that they're part of something bigger and not left on their own, that's the type of technology I would be using. Yeah, and I'm going to say, I know Google have done the same thing for Google Meet. Uh, they've upgraded that to the point where all schools have full access to Google Meet, which means that you can then have, I think it's like thousands of people in your meeting room and also you can record um, those as well, which is great. I'm saying that I've been cranky at Google for not letting us record stuff for a long time, but <laughs> for at least for the next little while, it's, it's free and you can use the recording feature. Hopefully, the, Hopefully they just keep it on. Uh, I imagine that actually will be what ends up happening because Google are like that. They like to go, oh, well, these are free, and then they go, oh, let's just leave it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's probably that much tech out there that I'm not savvy with or aware of and the possibilities, but it's just very much um, going with what you're comfortable with as a teacher and then learning and building and not being afraid to learn from your students because they will teach you stuff. I'm still learning all the time, every day. 
um, like on new features on Zoom. Um, one of the mums who's a really active supervisor for our year sevens rang us and went, oh, did you know that, you know, there's this to-do button? I've said the teachers were getting cranky because the kids weren't submitting work and they were confused and she showed us this button and then we showed the students and then, oh, my God, all this work's coming in because the kids can see where it is. And that's a feature that's always been there, but it's, once again, the students being quite savvy and figuring out, um, you know, what to do, how to do it. So as a teacher... It can be quite daunting going full tech if you have access to it, um, but allow yourself to be guided and learn from others and most importantly, learn from your students as well. Yeah, and there is a lot out there and a lot of it's free mm. too. That's, that's yeah. probably one of the big things. So I know like if you're doing younger primary schools, Seesaw is a fantastic mm. um, LMS really to use and it's free and it's very interactive. It's, it comes with a lot of really good uh, scaffolded, you know, pre-done classroom activity things that you can pull on. And even when you create your own, the process that they use for creating it is actually, I love it, the fact that they've mm. got to, you create examples and you give templates and all that kind of stuff. It just really helps with those those younger students. And then uh, for your older students, or even, even younger ones, I guess, but things like Flipgrid are fantastic. And I know Flipgrid have uh, been talking a lot about how to use themselves online. So if you're want to have a look at how to do that. Flipgrid have done webinars and stuff about how to use them uh, and to manage classrooms and stuff because you really could. You could you could pretty much use that for um, essentially video communication, things like Padlet. Uh, and mm. There's just so many these days that you can use that are really great tools for having kids, like you're saying, still working together where they can see each other uh, and what everyone's posting and what's going up on, on, that, on those sites or... Um, on those learning management type systems and it also allows yeah, just for you to be able to see everyone at once uh, which is one of the mm. other things that's really really key I think is, as you're doing stuff is to be able to quickly see everyone and then you can zoom in on particular people when you when you need to which you know, a lot of platforms these days now allow and then obviously if you're using Canvas or Schoolbox or any system like that, you know, there are so many of them these days, but uh, you can utilise those. They tend, to, I tend to find a lot of them are more individual in the sense that you log in, you do your work, you submit your work, yeah. and then you go on to the next lesson. But mm -hmm. having said that, uh, yeah, you could utilise that as well as other platforms for your social Oh, lesson. definitely. So we um, have Canvas at our school. Um, so... For our Year 7, we have everyone in the Google Classroom. Most of the work is through questions and assignments on Google Classroom, but um, one of our subjects, Expression, um, puts their Canvas link into our classwork section and the kids just know that first port of call is our Google Classroom and then from there they can branch out into whatever other platform they want them to do. But I guess the big thing I'd offer teachers um, is patience. Have a lot of patience and if you can upskill your kids before they leave school in regards to the platform that you're choosing to use. So if you're wanting them to use Canvas, Google or, or whatever you want, um, make sure they all know how to log on properly, where to access the material um, and just ask lots of questions because once you go into this type of platform, you know, it's not always perfect and if the entire country is using it, then there will be glitches, there will be dropouts, there will be 
um, yeah, all types of unexpected things. So that's why I'm kind of saying, I guess, be as organised as possible curriculum-wise because there's this whole other ball game happening once you actually start with the delivery of it in terms of, you know, computer glitches, um, tech, unexpected things that kids might, they're not always going to be good and well-behaved in the online environment. So, you know, what have you got in place to deal with that? Um, but also to... Um, yeah, just lots of patience and working through things um, with them. Yeah. So now if we switch off from tech and go to how to do distance or remote learning without any tech, mm-hmm. what what do you do? Because yeah, I'm a tech guy and everyone in my school has got tech, but if they don't, what's what's how do you do that? <laughs> Once again, really organised. Um, so you almost have to plan um, a term ahead in terms of your scope and sequence. But then also too, it comes back, and I probably haven't, you'd have to consider this with tech too, any learning adjustments that your students might have. Um, Tech's good because there's a lot of, you know, uh, voice to text tools, but then we're assuming that the kids have the headsets to be able to do that um, as well. But when you're not using tech, it's, um, yeah, we create weekly leaflets learning activities um, from each subject area that then gets put into a pile and um, posted out in the mail Um, and we usually try and keep it as a full week block so a month's worth of work and you label it number number it so the kids know what they're doing and then you have to set up your system back at your school on whatever your learning management system is in regards to record what you've sent out, when you've sent it out, um, if you're sending out additional resources. So if you're sending out PE equipment, art equipment, science equipment, is it all labelled? Is it registered in a system that you can keep log of who's got what and where they've got it? Do you have enough of it to be able to send out to all the students that you have? Um, so, yeah, so it's a matter of boxing stuff up, mailing stuff, students receive it and then returning it. And where are they returning it to? To your school, to what address, that type of thing. So we usually set it up in weekly units of work Um, paper leaflets with activities in them. Sometimes that can be accompanied by a USB with video resources on it because the students may have a computer but have no access to the internet. So if they have something on the USB that can complement their work, um, sometimes we look at that as well. Yeah, that's really good advice. I like that. USB if they've got tech at home but they don't have internet. But then there's also that week, the weekly and the monthly kind of uh, packages that get sent is really good. And then so do the students then like mail that back to you or uh, would they, if I'm looking at a more traditional school system, kids tend to live a lot closer to the school, would they possibly just come and drop it back off maybe? I, guess it seen, I remember I just I saw something on Facebook or Twitter or something of an American school that had shut down and they just had this in the bus bay they had the librarians out there handing out packages of what people had pre-ordered uh, to go home to the students for reading and whatever else they had and then they would all, I presume it would then come back and they'd cycle back around. Yeah, it would just depend what, you know, what... Um, social distancing measures are in place in regards to coronavirus. Um, Our students get replied paid envelopes. So they put their work back in that, put it in the mail and it comes back. But that that idea of actually, you know, dropping it in um, at the school could be a possibility. I'm not sure. Just every school would be so different. So, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, that's it definitely, it would definitely depend on the context. I just was thinking that it would be something I think that would, is more likely to happen in a, you know, in a, in a normal school context where students live closer. Yeah. Um, Cause it's a lot of money to post mm. uh, particularly sports equipment as a PE teacher. I'm like, man, that's, that's expensive. Imagine sending out shot puts. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and also too, I guess it's um, one thing to send it out, but then, you know, do you need to employ someone at your school who's going to sort all that mail into the teacher's pigeonholes if they still exist and um, stuff like that? So that's like a whole nother level of responsibility of, okay, it's one thing if the teachers organise it to go it out, but then who's sending it out, who's logging it, that type of thing, if it comes back in, who's sorting it. So, yeah, it's a whole nother level of logistics as well. Yeah, 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 definitely that level of logistics of things going out, coming in and checking stuff, even as a teacher when you're sending stuff, like if you've got hard copy work going out, how does that come back to you? Uh, and particularly you like you tend to want it back quickly and so how, how are kids going to get that to you? These days I tend to think that most kids have some kind of, you know, particularly if they're high school, they have some kind of phone that they can take photos on, for example, or I might yep. get a parent to take photos of it. I know, you know as a homeschooling parent, our way that we – track our students learning and maintain our evidence for Nessa is actually just it's all through photos we just take photos of everything uh, yeah. that our son does and just keep it in a little folder or whatever and then when Nessa comes go, here we go here's, here's him doing everything that we've said we were going to do uh, and they really like it which is I just think wow we should do that as schools save so yeah. much work just yeah. walk around your classroom and take photos of everyone's work or make everyone else take photos of the work and submit it and then yeah it's all that evidence but yeah. yeah um and the kids do so kids can take pictures of it upload it email it to the teachers and things like that it was a very big frustration of mine when I first worked at distance ed because everything was on paper and for my senior students because they still sit a three-hour exam I will still send out paper leaflets but they'll all be in a google classroom because some students choose to hold on to their work for an entire month or two months and then comes back and you've got a wad of marking but you know we all know that feedback instant feedback is really really important so a lot of the moments are lost when that happens um, so that's why initially I went to Google Classroom because I thought I need to know that all these kids are in here. I need to see feedback a lot quicker. So they still get their paper leaflets, but when they've got questions, we can just hit it a lot more instant and I can keep them up to date with the latest things that are going on by dropping links to different things in their classroom as well. So, yes, sometimes there is a big delay and sometimes you can be marking forever because they save it all up. Thanks for listening to part two of the remote learning series with Kelly Pfeiffer from Dubbo Distance Ed. Please make sure that you tune into the next episode and please feel free to catch up with me, Dan Jackson, at teacherspd.net.